Hello, you're listening to Earth Matters, produced in the studios of 3CR Radio in Fitzroy, Victoria, and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. We're bringing you environmental and social justice stories. I'm Kerry Lee Harding. This week on the show, you'll hear from Brian Andy, Yoda Yoda Man, broadcaster and writer and a social media whiz on the very first Yurimboy First Nations Arts Festival from the 5th to the 14th of May. You'll hear more on Yurimboy as we hear from Brian and his views on local community arts, culture and identity in Melbourne as Brian shares his recent work as the social media boss man for Yurimboy socials on Facebook and Instagram. And you'll hear about his work as a black critic and you'll also hear about a very special project Brian created for the festival which brought black drag queens reading children's dreamtime stories in the city of Melbourne. And we also unpack some of the performances featured at Yurimboy Festival 2017. Hi, my name is Brian Andy and I'm a Yorta Yorta man from Kamragunja, which is on the Murray River, for those of you that don't know. It's near Chuka and I live in Melbourne at the moment. And tell me about your role at Yurimboy in uh, digital media. Yeah, I worked as the uh, social media boss man, as I called myself, uh, for Yurimboy First Nations Arts Festival. Um, it went, it was on in Melbourne from the 5th to the 14th of May. And so my role was pretty much uh, looking after the Facebook and Instagram accounts and being the voice, I guess, as part of the festival in the lead up to it and during the festival. And not only Facebook and Instagram, but I also understand you were hosting Indigenous X on Twitter. I was asked to host Indigenous X, that uh, amazing account uh, run by Luke Pearson and, and Jack Lattimore. Um, and yeah, I, yeah, it was pretty amazing. I thought that was, um, yeah, I, yeah, it was, it was. An, I don't know what to say really. It's just, it was really fun to be part of that, and because I've always admired what they do, those guys through Indigenous X, and just to kind of have that platform to put your voice out there and. So I, you know, talked up being gay, I talked up being black, I talked up urine boy, so it was really fun. And tell me about your role as a digital producer, if you like, on socials, because not many blackfellas are working in the role as in social media. Is it fair for me to say that, do you think? Yeah, I guess, I mean, statistically, um, blackfellas use Facebook more than the rest of the non-Indigenous population. And so, I mean, I'm not exactly sure of the exact statistics. Wow. But, but yeah, Blackfellas, it's kind of like the new camping ground or the new fire for us, really. Like, I've always said that Facebook, uh, you know, nothing beats the Koori grapevine, uh, <laughs> yes. not even Facebook. And I think, you know, because of that whole, uh, I guess, the way we interact, our, you know, networks, our kinship systems, our need to kind of know what's going on, Facebook's become a really good forum uh, for that type of communication social media so um yeah and I guess I mean there's uh, speaking of like Luke Luke uh, Pearson he is the new ABC's new uh digital uh producer uh within the indigenous realm and so he's got that job of looking after how they might communicate through social media through the ABC nationally and um yeah so I kind of you know I, I'm there are a few people out there but um I'll be honest I have a marketing background. I used to work with the Melbourne International Arts Festival in their marketing department, looked after all the marketing 
um, you know, I was a marketing coordinator with them, and then I worked with the Australia Council for the Arts with the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Arts Board. And so I've got, I'm fairly sort of um, au fait and across that sort of traditional marketing, communications, publicity, but I'd never really delved into the social media realm, so it was all new for me. I love Facebook, um, but yeah, and I think it worked well. And how different is it driving, I guess, the other end of Facebook as opposed to being a user at the front end, being on the back end of things? I guess, yeah. Delivering that content. Yeah, I banked on my skills of just sort of, you know, knowing. I mean, I'm pretty um, casual um, when it comes to Facebook, my own presence on Facebook. And I have a rule where I like to keep things, um, I mean, if they get political, they might get a little bit, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, they might get a bit bitey or they might get, you know, I might express myself in a way that I wouldn't normally do. But when it comes to my own personal stuff, I just tend to, um, you know, kind of have this rule for myself where just keep it really nice, keep it um, lively, keep it conversational. And so I banked on those skills for Urine Boy just to, you know, kind of keep that tone, I guess, for the festival. Um, it was interesting because, you know, like you're not, when you're presenting uh, through social media for a festival, you kind of have to have that consistent voice, I guess, but you have to kind of keep it really uh, unpersonal or think about the collective and think about how we are doing this and we're doing that. And so I kind of, you know, delved into that that voice, I guess. And another thing that added to that, I mean, as an Aboriginal man, I kind of re- really relish that opportunity, but just as a gay man too, and just um, as somebody working on the festival with Jacob, who is also gay, and he kind of programmed a lot of queer content into the into Urine Boy. And so it was nice to kind of just you know, get a bit camp with my language too and just have a bit of fun with that. So, yeah, that's, you know, I guess that's the kind of approach I took to it. But like I said, I haven't really worked in the um, the digital or sort of social media realm. And so it was really lovely to kind of be paid to sit on Facebook. <laughs> How lucky are you? I might be a little bit jealous. You were just talking about there about speaking all camp, talking about all things camp. One of the other projects, um, can I say project, that you're involved with for Boy Festival um, involved uh, drag queens reading to children. Tell me more about this. What a beautiful concept. Okay? Yeah, I guess it was derived from this project that happens in Brooklyn in New York City. And um, it's, called, it's called basically drag storytelling. And each week in their public libraries, they have drag queens go along and offer a storybook reading to the local kids in the community. And I guess its intent is to just break down those notions of what is gender um, you know, what a drag queen might look like. It's okay to kind of see a guy with a beard in a dress kind of thing and just pushing that kind of, that notion or that um, that value uh, to kids. They're not pushing it, it's probably the wrong word, but just sort of allowing kids to be non-judgmental and just to, um, you know, kind of hear a story, a lovely yarn um, from a drag queen and just sort of, you know, to break down those, any kind of sense of bigotry. We kind of need that right now when it comes to, you know, you look at Trump, who's in power now, even just locally within Australia, you've got the Turnbull government and queer rights aren't even, um, we don't have equal rights when it comes to marriage equality. And so, uh, yeah, like we wanted to take on that concept of just, you know, breaking down barriers, encouraging a non-judgmental point of view when it comes to queer lives. And so we thought, well, let's go with the black drag queen. And we produced an event, or I produced an event rather, called um, Black Drag's Dreamtime Storytelling. And so we had three drag queens throughout the city of Melbourne um, as part of Burrinyanable, which was which was presented as part of the festival on the 13th of May, on the Saturday, the last Saturday of the festival. And the, the drag queens just basically read Dreamtime stories to uh, the kids and people that were in the audience. So we occupied a lot of the busking sites that are in Melbourne. One of them was the Purse on the corner of um, 
Elizabeth and Burke Street in the mall there. Oh, that gorgeous stone-looking purse. Yeah, that's yeah. the one, yeah. And so we, I kind of had a drag queen miscellaneous from Darwin. Sitting she, on a purse. She just sat on a purse. It was very camp. It was really <laughs> lovely. And uh, she just read, you know, these Dreamtime stories, those illustrated types that you sort of might find in libraries and such, uh, to the kids and to the people that were kind of passing by. And what were some of the reactions from the littlies and the older ones as well? Yeah, I think, I mean, well, we had three sites, one at the State Library, um, that was uh, Thomas Bevan, and we had Davy Thompson, who was in the City Library. And Davy, um, I think Miscellaneous had a great uh, position, so she got a lot of passers yeah. by and a lot of traffic. Burke Street. Mm. Yeah, exactly. And mm. um, whereas Davy, he kind of got um, a lot of the younger kids coming in, and he just loved it. Like, I mean, reports back from him for the day. He was, though he was stationed there from about 11 a.m. until uh, 4 p.m., so they had about four readings throughout the day. And, yeah, the response was really good. I think, you know, just um, I don't th- think kids bat an eyelid when it comes to, no. you know, kind of seeing, you know, how we observe or how we dictate gender rules when it comes to a man in a dress. And so, um, yeah, I think, you know, like Davey from his... Um, Feedback. I think it was really well received from from his end. But I think they all had a great time. They were really, um, you know, kind of chuffed to be involved with that event. And yeah, and I guess it was. I mean, I loved producing it because it was just like this fantastic concept that Jacob Bohm, the creative director of Urine Boy, highlighted to me in Out Black. And um, we just said, let, let's run with this and let's go with this. So it was really nice to be visible too. And maybe the very first time in the world that black drag queens have done such a thing, Brian and Andy? I reckon it's probably hey. a first, yeah, like a first <laughs> for a First Nations festival. So there you go, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now getting back to the First Nations Arts Festival, I also know you're involved uh, with the festival. You're one of the black critics. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell me about that and your role as a black critic. Yeah, Black Critics was a Yurimboy, um initiated project and it was it's actually quite... Um, inspired because um, I guess on the landscape when it comes to uh, how white non-Indigenous people might critique Aboriginal work, you kind of recognise that there's a bit of a void where people might be a little bit too, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Nice. Uh, I get a bit too nice, exactly. Safe. A bit too safe, a bit mm. too kind of hard to actually criticise something if it's not particularly particularly strong work. Mm. And so, um, I mean, uh, you know, like you might see a production, for example, and um, certain elements might work and certain, certain elements might not. And as a black person, when you go and see a show, you kind of walk away and go, well, you know, I like the way that they designed the set and how that fed into the narrative or whatever. But then you might kind of say, but the, you know, the music sucked, for example. That's just a, an example pulling from the top of my head. None of the music sucked at Yurimboy, by well, the way. Exa- well, yeah, let's point that out. No, <laughs> yeah, no music get, at Yurimboy sucked. But, <laughs> but, I mean, you kind of walk away from those um, performances you might mm. see and, um, you know, you ha- you'll have that opinion or you'll have that critique and then you'll read uh, like a non-Indigenous person's take on it. And it's, it's kind of frustrating because you know that they should have maybe said, you know, the music wasn't as, you know, as well as it could have been or whatever. And um, and they often don't say that because they you know they might have some kind of fear of being racist or uh, guilt around that kind of stuff. And so black critics was mm. really quite vital in the sense of just ensuring that when you're talking about our art and our culture, I'll use the term culture too. Um, you actually have that kind of informed lens when it comes to that work. So and also just that kind of robust um, response to. Uh, like say some kind of Aboriginal art presentation, um, and that's I guess the the philosophy or the values behind Black critics. And 
I applied back in uh, April, I think it was, or February, to be a black critic. And I've had a bit of writing experience through Lonely Planet and through my work in the marketing realm. And I was fortunately accepted as a black critic. And so there was there was nine of us. One had to um, drop out, unfortunately, because of family commitments. But there was eight in the, in, in the end. And uh, we went through a series of masterclasses. What yeah. uh, Boy and Jacob did was they linked up with The Guardian and said, look, we'd like to run a series of masterclasses, especially for the black critics. And so we had, mm. um, like, you know, the, all those re, uh, writers you might see with The Guardian. Uh, Kate Hennessy springs to mind because she was fabulous. Um, Van Batten was another one that kind of came in and did opinion writing. We had Kate Howard who dealt with theatre. And so each weekend over a series of weekends, we uh, went into these masterclasses and they were just, you know, they gave us all their insights as to how they might approach a review, what the kind of elements they might put into it. Um, but, you know, I guess part of the thread was that um, they were really quite, um, they too identified that gap within the industry or within the reviewing industry where, you know, people are often take that softly, softly approach to Indigenous work because they, you know, might not have the, the skills or the, or the, um, the understanding or the cultural context, to use the term, and so, um, yeah, we did the, that series of masterclasses and they were bookended by uh, Indigenous ex uh, Jack Lattimore and Luke Pearson who came along to the first session okay. and to the last one just to kind of, I guess, you know, bookend and give us a bit of a sense of how we might think about approaching those masterclasses with that black lens. And I think the results were really good. Like, I mean, they um, we got a lot of publishing outcomes through that particular uh that project as part of Yerenboy. Um some of our writers got picked up with it with time out. Um yeah like And The Guardian, I've heard. Well The Guardian, yeah, kind of I will, I've I mean, heard you did with the Guardian. I, I, I got a piece with the Guardian, yeah. And tell, I, tell me about that piece, can you? Yeah, it was um yeah. I guess it was I was part of my Indigenous ex um hosting, but they, they require you to put up a, a piece of around about eight hundred words, I think it was, and I went and saw a show um called Firebucket as part of the festival. And I thought I'd just, you know, kind of give a bit of a personal insider response to that show and just talk about, I guess, the need for Aboriginal voices, um, how lucky we were as part of Boy to be surrounded by so many strong, amazing First Nations voices from, you know, from Australia, but also from overseas. And so that's the kind of thread of my uh, Guardian piece. And um, Fire Bucket was a show that was presented by Uncle Wes Marne through Mugglin Theatre, who were based in Sydney, an Aboriginal theatre company up that way. Okay. And um, and Uncle Wes just like he's, it's it's it was the, probably the one of the most um, profound theatrical experiences I've had in my life, and I've I've been to a lot of theatre. Wow! But um, but he just basically had this set up around a fire or a fire bucket, as he called it, outside, outside, yeah. yep, wow. at the back of the uh, Willem Nalut, which was our festival hub um, during okay. the festival. And he um he just basically um sat around like we all sat around his fire, his mm-hmm. fire bucket, and he just told us yarns and. It was a scripted, um, I got a sense that it was a scripted um, performance. Like he had, I guess, maybe he worked from themes, I don't know. But but Mm. the sense he got, like he just opened up with this, um, you know, comment as to why we were smoked as we walked into the space. Um, He talked about smoking as a bit of a, a, I guess, an underpinning um, uh, value or or thing in Aboriginal culture. And then he spoke about his life. And he's a 95-year-old man from um, Bigambul, wow. which is like, you know, north, uh, northwest New South Wales, near the border of Queensland. Did you say 95-year-old man? 95 years old, like nearly a Amazing. century. 
And wow. he drove down to Melbourne just to present fire bucket. He drove and, down. Oh, bless, yeah. bless. Yeah, like I mean, he doesn't fly on planes, so he just came down and um and just yeah was driven down the Hume Highway and came to oh. Melbourne and presented fire bucket and fire bucket and um yeah. So my piece was about that. I just felt really quite inspired about that whole thing of, you know, we're so lucky to have all these Aboriginal voices as part of Yurimboy, and I just sort of started it out with a reflection of my grandparents and how they. Uh, you know, amazing, exquisite storytellers and how they, you know, I could almost hear their voices when I listened to Uncle Wes Mann by his fire bucket. So that was the kind of thread of the piece. How beautiful to bring that back to your own personal experiences. And can I ask, what did your grandparents think of your piece of writing in The Guardian? Yeah, it's funny because I literally just saw them this past weekend and I went up home to celebrate my mother's 60th birthday party and put on a party for her. And um, we... I. My grandparents, because the Guardian's online, um, they don't have internet or interwebs uh, up at Cumra there. And so um, mm -mm. they, um, I printed it out for them and I took it up home. And, and Nan was really um, touched by it. And she said, that's really nice. And she's not big on compliments. But um, my grandfather, he read it and, he's, and he said, wow, that's really beautiful. And I was really quite chuffed by that because he's not, I mean, like Nan, he's sort of a man of few words when he talks. He can... He can talk the leg off a chair, but he's not into that kind of flowery language, I guess. And so when he said that is beautiful, I was just like, oh my god, I've you know, I've I've done it. I've re I feel really quite touched by that. So yeah, they love the story and um and they love the kind of link talk always too. And I guess that's another intent I wanted from the piece was just to kind of show that you know we are a collective of voices and we you know might have indiv individual voices um, in our community, but as a collective, we speak from the same place or same position. Absolutely, we do indeed. You're listening to Earth Matters. I'm with Brian Andy in the studio from the Yurimboy Festival. Going back to the festival now, Brian, did you get out and about to see any other shows? I know you were so busy during that whole time. Yeah, it was 10 days and um, it was, yeah, it was amazing. Like it was, I probably, uh, I think I saw probably two things a day. True. Uh, there was over 60 events as presented as part of Year and Boy throughout the 10 days. So over wow. 370 artists, First Nations artists from across the world and our country here in Australia. Mm. And um, and so there was heaps on. Um, so I probably averaged around about two shows a day, I guess, or two experiences a day. And That's um, amazing. I'm, I'm impressed. Mm. I'm impressed. Yeah. How did you manage that? <laughs> well, I guess that uh, Willem now uh, which means our place in the local Wurrung Tongue, mm. um, that was our festival hub. And so it kind of it was handy to have that as the base and the place where we could gather every evening and then see a couple of shows and then just go and talk about them afterwards and stuff like that. So, yeah, that's sort of, you know, part of my um, MO, I guess, when it comes to getting to those events was just being at Willem Nalut as part of that hub. And one of those events at Willem Nalut to, to open the festival and carried on for a few days after that was Chasing Smoke. Yeah. By Circus Oz. Blackflip? Yeah. Blackflip, yeah, the Blackflip crew. And um, mm. like they're just gone from strength to strength, that program. I remember a friend of mine, Mark Shepherd, he's a Murray fellow from up Queensland, uh, from the Atherton Tableland area. And uh, he was down doing Blackflip about two years ago. He stayed with me in Melbourne, I, you know, at my house. And. Um, he was part of that, and I saw their outcome presented at the Spiegel tent, and that was beautiful. It was amazing to kind of see, you know, blackfellas just getting really beautiful, sensual, uh, athletic, acrobatic um, as part of this, um, you know, this program. They develop it over, I think it was just four weeks, and then they present it. Wow. Whereas I'm um, Chasing Smoke, it really raised the bar for me where, it, you know, they had a, a, an ensemble, an amazingly tight ensemble 
of six people, I think they were. I'm maybe thinking six, including Davy Thompson, the producer of Black Flip. Mm. But they were just the tightest ensemble, and wow. they really took hold of that, um, I guess, storytelling. They they took the medium of circus, and they presented it in that kind of, you know, that traditional theatre sense of, the, you know, the fourth wall is taken down. That um, And so as an audience member, when you're in that sort of rake seating and watching that, um, the sense I got from it was just it was really powerful storytelling and they took, I guess, you know, a lot of the kind of, um, uh, what do you call them, the ways of Aboriginal, the ways that blackfellas talk to each other or the, you know, are the kind of icons, for want of a better word, of our culture. They really took hold of those kind of those things and they and they presented them as, as part of their act, but all in circus. And it was, so it was just really, really strong, powerful uh, storytelling from uh, from my perspective. That's how I viewed it. And they really owned um, things around identity, like um, how, uh, you know, um, as a black person in Australia, you might have a certain identity that's fostered by racism or politics or society or whatever. And the, so they just took hold of that notion and said, no, this is who we are. This is where I'm from. Uh, this is my family, warts and all. And just, you know, it was really empowering for me as a black fellow watching that to see them just really go, yeah, you know, we we define our identity and not it's not sort of at the mercy of, say, the media mm. or, uh, you know, politics or whatever. So it was a really empowering show. And they just did it, like I said, they just did it beautifully uh, in terms of storytelling. Beautiful. And what I'm hearing there is that they really did that flip, didn't they? Like black flip. Well, they did. They just turned it on its head. It was like an about face to, you know, mm. any, any racists out there. Um, you know, they just said, look here, we'll, we'll take what you think you know about us. And yeah. they just turned it around and, and yeah. owned it. I think that was the main thing for me, um, that, you know, there was one particular girl as part of it. Oh, there was actually a, a girl and a guy mm. who um, spoke about their history and their family history and and um, and how they, as blackfellas, uh, were never allowed to own their identity because of the, you know, I guess the spoils of history or because of the genocidal activities within Australian history where shame, um, you know, um, honour uh, and just sort of that survival technique where you might, um, you know, kind of not identify and how they grappled with that as young people who wow. knew that they were Aboriginal but didn't know, often have a family that articulated that so... Um, it was really strong in that sense too of just, you know, having them own their identity and saying, look, this is who I am, um, you know, take it or leave it, but I know who I am kind of thing, you know. It was really lovely. Beautiful, beautiful. Makes um, makes me really proud hearing those things about our young ones coming through, Brian. There's so many other events as well. Native Girl Syndrome was a production that came out from Canada. Did you see that show at all? I heard rave reviews about yeah. that one. Oh, that was such a powerful piece. Um, mm. Actually, did I say, um, like, yeah, like Uncle Wes was amazing in a theatrical sense, but I guess Lara Kramer, a dance company from Canada, mm. um, First Nations dance company, um, they just astounded me. They did this piece called Native Girl Syndrome and um, it was like probably about an hour long and it had two uh, female dancers on stage and they just basically occupied this almost like this wasteland that was the stage. It was made, you know, filled up with tarps, crates, beer cans, um, I guess man-made materials, and it was just like a, a tip effectively. Mm -hmm. And then they just occupied this space and um, and moved in a way that uh, there was little dialogue, but they moved in a manner that kind of showed and told this story of how they, well, basically the, I guess, the, the victims, for want of a better word, of colonisation and genocide. And they delved into... Um, addiction, substance use, um, alcoholism, 
mental illness, and just all through dance, pretty much. There was some dialogue um, that, you know, but again, it wasn't sort of dialogue that was didactic or, uh, you know, sort of um, just basically sort of was screams and just, um, and just, you know, like, I guess this horror. And I remember chatting to people afterwards and there was a real sense of hopelessness after seeing that show. And, and why is that? Do you think uh, people were left feeling like that after seeing I Native think, Girls uh, well, Syndrome? I think, yeah, because, you know, I mean, even in Australia, we do tend to euphemise history. I mean, we talk about being this egalitarian nation, which I think is a load of crap. Um, you know, blackfellas have never enjoyed any sense of equality in our country, on our own country. And so, um, you know, we kind of we foster those myths around history and our identity as a nation. And Canada is the same thing. I mean, they've got Trudeau at the moment and he seems to be doing amazing things from where we sit. But, mm. um, but yeah, like I, you just get the sense that these people had a similar experience to us in terms of the, the effects of colonisation. And, and so it was really quite powerful to have them just sort of own that again and respond to it in their own voice, but through movement and, um, and just, you know, present this amazing uh, dance piece that, yeah, like went for an hour long and it was relentless and hopeless. But I think that's the thing where you need to, we need to actually kind of see that in order to kind of process it. it. You've been listening to Earth Matters on the Community Radio Network with Kerry Lee Harding. Today on the show, you heard from Brian Andy on his most recent work as the social media boss man for the festival that was the Yirrumboi First Nations Arts Festival held in Melbourne from the 5th to the 14th of May. And you also heard Brian yarn on his work with the Black Critics, Dumblewinnie Fire Talk, and we also heard from Brian as we unpacked some of the shows featured at the Yirrumboi Festival, including Native Girl Syndrome, Fire Bucket featuring Uncle Wes Marn, and Black Flip by Circus Oz. On this program today, you also heard about the fabulous new initiative for Yerenboy, which had black drag queens reading Dreamtime stories to young ones in the city of Melbourne. Today's podcast and others like it can be downloaded at earthmatters.org.au. Earth Matters would like to thank the Community Broadcasting Association for their generous financial support and the Community Radio Network for distributing this show around Australia. Earth Matters was produced in the studios of 3CR Radio in Fitzroy, Melbourne. Our contact phone number is 03 9419 8377. Our email is earthmatters3cr at gmail.com. Well, that's all for today, folks, but we'll be back again next week with more green news from all over this awesome planet. Until then, I'm Kerry Lee Harding. I'll see you later. Thank you.